welcome to the Kitchen Table Podcast, where the table comes in all sizes, shapes, and styles. Join Kyle and Seth as we explore the journey of food from our field to your dinner plate. The one guarantee is that there will always be a seat for everyone at the kitchen table. Kyle. Good to see you, Seth. Can't wait. I'm so excited for our guest today. We're in our harvest series and we're just, this is a a little different harvest uh, topic that that I'm used to, but I'm very excited to hear about it from our guest, Alan Robinette. Well, Alan Robinette, it's it's always uh, my pleasure to be able to speak to you and with you about agriculture and what it means to you in your area, and certainly some of the incredible uh, experiences that individuals are allowed to have on your ag tourism place right just north of Grand Rapids, Michigan. I was looking at your website a little earlier. It looks like it was Robinette's was founded way back in 1911, so a, cent- so a centennial farm, and then also has been doing the ag tourism aspect of it since about the early 70s. And Alan, you and I go back quite a ways and uh, we've been friends for, for quite a few years and certainly want to welcome you to the Kitchen Table Podcast. And uh, would you mind telling us a few things about yourself? Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. I grow apples, peaches, and cherries in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I've been working on the farm my whole life, but uh, I'm the fifth generation on the farm. So family's been doing it a while and we were lucky enough to have the population of Grand Rapids and within a 30 mile radius, we've got a, about a million people. So we're, we're very lucky to have the population that we have nearby. And that really changes what we can do for our farm. Alan, one of the ways that we like to start our podcast is talking about agriculture in your area. Give me one word to sum up agriculture in your area, and then go into a little bit of details to why you chose that word. Ooh, I'd say scarce. Uh, so the reason I picked that word is um, as of just about a couple months ago, we're one of the two remaining farms, I think, in my entire school district uh, in the whole area. Uh, I, I think my, my township, we're, we're, there's one other farm with us, uh, and it's, he's, he's mostly retired. So it, it's mostly just us in our area. There's, there's not a lot of room left to grow things. It's all suburbs and cities kind of expanding our way. So I would say scarce. All right. Very good. Mr. Lechtenberg, what is the one word that describes agriculture in Nebraska? Well, my word for this week is going to be excited because we're kind of beyond that right before harvest. uh, When we get into corn and beans and last week, we talked a little bit about cattle and weaning. The biggest thing, you kind of have that like scared feeling right before the busyness really gets going and you're a little bit nervous of how it's going to go and is every plan in place, is every, um, all the equipment ready, all the people ready. And then once you get into it, there's a sense of excitement. So I think the state of Nebraska's agriculture is excited and it'll be that way for about a month, I would say. There's always that little bit of harvest fatigue that can kind of set in towards the latter part of October and into November and on some long years, even into December, some years. What's your word? So if I had to pick one word for this week, uh, last week I had chose the word inspiring. And this, this week I certainly have to 
choose the word of eye-opening. And the reason for that is I literally just left the farm about 45 minutes ago and I was tallying up some of our yields from our corn fields. And so we're, we're right in the heart of corn harvest right now where we're, it's the process of removing corn from the field and processing it so it can end up in one of the 3000 products in the grocery stores for our consumers. And so I was in the process of tallying up those yields to see just how that, that field performed. And we set our all-time record for the highest field average, single field average, certainly not the farm average, but single field average. And it was eye-opening for not only myself, but for my wife who was standing there. And then also for my father-in-law who just looked at me and goes, wow, that is pretty amazing. And so eye-opening this week. So Alan, to jump right in, kind of touched on a couple of topics that I kind of wanted you to elaborate on. You had mentioned that you have a pretty large population base in and around your neck of the woods. Uh, that greater Grand Rapids area is certainly a growing area, probably one of the fastest growing urban areas within the state of Michigan. And then you also mentioned that you are one of only two farms that's left in your school district. And I kind of want to jump in and grab some of the history behind Robinettes and how that was started and organized and then how it has still continued on today. Absolutely. So uh, 110 years ago, my great-great-grandfather purchased the farm. And at the time, it was, it was entirely a peach farm. Uh, we have excellent soil for peaches, excellent climate for it. And so that was, that was the moneymaker then because you couldn't go to a, peaches don't travel well when, when you don't have a grocery store. You can't buy peaches from Georgia when you live in Michigan in, in 1911. So that really was the moneymaker back then. And of course, in the, in the intervening years, we've diversified what we offer to include apples, uh, cherries, and apricots and pears to a lesser extent. But over the course of the last century, we've seen the, our neighboring farms fall away and they've, they've been developed, they've turned into houses. And so we're, we're surrounded by the suburbs at this point. So over the years, we had a wholesale farm just like so many others. But in the late 60s and going into 1970s, my grandfather was looking at things and saying, okay, you know, we're, we're not doing so hot. We're a very small farm and we can't, we can't really support ourselves if we continue as we, as we are. So he toured around the country a little bit to see how other farms were making things work. And they saw the shift towards agritourism and retail markets. So we opened up our retail market in the early seventies and we opened up a cider mill, we opened up a bakery. And so our focus shifted to be entirely retail and, and sell everything we have right on the farm. And that really saved our bacon. We wouldn't exist if, that, if not for that. So that's pretty amazing background. I wanna back up and you, you mentioned the word agritourism. One of the important parts of the Kitchen Table podcast is connecting consumers with farmers and answering all the hard and relevant questions within agriculture. And sometimes we talk amongst each other as farmers in farmer lingo. And I would like to ask you to expand on the agritourism and what exactly that entails. You don't have to give us a definition, but what does that actually mean? That's, uh, I know that's a, a term that's been struggled to be 
defined legally. Uh, that one that one's debated a lot of how much of a farm can be used to sell for retail purposes. You know that. So we won't get into that. But um, for me, it means I I directly engage with my customers and all the products I I sell I, I sell right to them. So it's it's a very unique perspective uh, in I would say most of agriculture. I mean, some people a lot of people have farm stands and they, they have some limited engagement, but most farms don't have this many people nearby. So that really offers us an opportunity. So we have a corn maze, we have a winery, we have we have a, a big inflatable bounce pillow and all these attractions to bring people to the farm, you know, whether it's hay rides and things like uh, so we we ship apples all over the country through our website. So really a lot of direct engagement or direct marketing to sell our products directly to people. And I, I think they really appreciate that because, you know, there's always that question, well, where does my food come from? Well, you, you can see it right here. And in the case of you pick apples, you can go and pick it yourself if you'd like. Alan, I would like to hear a little bit about the retail in the seventies. And then, you know, now we're kind of talking more agritourism. Was there much talk back then that you hear from your family members that were operating it that far back was was agritourism on the radar and can you speak to that a little bit absolutely i so it wasn't really i think the the focus was just having a retail presence and over time uh back in the 80s was when we uh, our cousins started doing hay rides on the farm for us because there was they had horses uh, we had the land and the population, so they would bring the horses to us. And that's kind of where it started for us. People were coming to the farm, and even back into the 70s, the reason we have a cider mill, well, not a cider mill, but a bakery, is because people would come to the farm, see us make cider and buy the cider, and they said, well, you know, it'd go great with cider is, is donuts. And so then we said, okay, well, we'll build a bakery. And they said, well, you know, it'd be great with donuts as a, a place to sit and eat these donuts. So we added a dining room. And over time, that, that included adding things like our winery where we do wine tasting. It really comes from interacting with consumers and, and listening to, to hear them say, this is what we would like you to provide. This is when we come to this farm, this is kind of what we're looking to do. And so over time, in 2009, we added our corn maze. We've really seen a shift in even in the last 10 years of, I, I want to come to a farm and I want to experience things on a farm. I don't want to just come there and buy things. I want to, I want to experience things that I, I can't get anywhere else. Sounds great, Alan. And then I always have to ask this question because I just love uh, business transition and how, um, in, in your case, it's more of an ongoing business, but how did you personally come into the family business? Can you talk about like what age, what was the process? What were the challenges? And then what were the successes of you kind of coming into this role? Absolutely. So I started working on the farm at a very young age, just like most farmers did. Most farmers who were raised on the farm worked on the farm. That was just, that's just how things go. So growing up, that was how I got my allowance. If I wanted to buy a pack of Skittles, I had to work for it. <laughs> and, uh, that really taught me the meaning of hard work growing up on the farm because I'd have to work to get the things that I want. But uh, so I'd say around age 12, that's where it's not just hand in $5 for, for the day. And I was officially put on payroll. I don't remember the exact year. I've always had, I've always worked on the farm. Even when I've worked other jobs, I've 
still been working on the farm or going away to college. I, I only went to the community college and I still worked full time on this farm. So over the years, I, I would ask myself this question, you know, I'm sure everyone does. What do I want to do with my life? Do I want to be a farmer? What, what do I want to do? Do I want to be an architect? Do I want to be an actor? What do I want to do? And at some point, I just really, uh, I stopped worrying about those questions. And I just kind of leaned into what I was already doing and what I was already good at. And one day I just stopped worrying about what do I do with my life? Cause I'm already kind of doing it. And at this point, if you asked me, I'd say I'm a farmer because I don't know how not to. So you touched on a couple of points that, uh, that I kind of wanted to elaborate on or, or circle back to in some cases. And you talked about, you had to learn the value of hard work and commitment to an industry and commitment to a family from a really young age. And, and that's something that Kyle had talked about in, a, in previous episodes. Kyle was raised with eight siblings on a, uh, or eight siblings total, I guess, on a 160 acre farm in rural Nebraska. Understanding that Nebraska agriculture is significantly different than what agriculture is here in Michigan, but a lot of the key principles stay the same. And understanding the value of hard work and the value of of the efforts that need to be made in order to go buy your pack of Skittles, as you had mentioned. One of my personal stories about that, uh, teaching those children how to work is actually happening right before my eyes right now. Uh, in the last two nights, I have my seven-year-old daughter who desperately wants to go buy a computer. And whether or not I agree with her wanting to go buy a computer, we said, well, you have to figure out a way to have the money to go do that. And no, you can't use the money in your savings account. So for the last two nights, she has been going around our family farm collecting pop cans. And she took back $46 in pop cans yesterday. And I have three full garbage bags in my truck right now. So she probably has another $30 or $40. And so she's like, she's talking about, well, this isn't that hard. Like, this is kind of fun. And so she has mom and dad trying to help her out. But it's understanding the value and the commitment that it actually takes to be able to really learn the value of work. And you can get that in a lot of industries. And I, I certainly don't want to take away from that. But curious to see, you talk a lot about family and the farm and what that's meant to you. And you've had some pretty incredible opportunities personally. And I'd really like to hear a couple of the stories from you about growing up and then you know looking at people in leadership positions and or yourself being in leadership positions and then how you've been able to implement some of those thoughts and those strategies on the family farm. Certainly. I grew up seeing my grandparents on the farm every day and my grandfather was an excellent leader and that really rubbed off on my dad and my dad being an excellent leader really rubbed off on me and I, I learned a lot from both of them. My Grandfather was active in Michigan Farm Bureau and Kent County Farm Bureau. I'd say that really helped inspire me to seek that out and find, find ways to improve my leadership abilities through Farm Bureau. But even just being on the farm with my dad and my grandfather and, and seeing the way they would lead our employees and lead, lead in church and lead in all aspects of life, uh, it really inspired me to not just become a better leader, but to want to be a better leader. And I, I find that's the, the best way to become a better leader is to 
is the desire to be a better leader. It, you can't just uh, say, oh, I, yeah, it'd be nice to be a better leader and then just wish it, wish it to happen. It, it, it takes work and it makes you know, it requires you to, to do things to make it happen for you and, and really go outside your comfort zone. You kind of answered some of my next question, Alan. I was going to say that you, you seem like a lifelong learner. And I was going to have you elaborate on some of those opportunities that you've had, some of the, and if you, if, if there's a few more, some of the folks that have been there. And then as a second part to that question, I would also, um, last week I had somebody ask me about the podcast and they talked about working with family during harvest. Now that's probably a little different in your world than in a Nebraska commodity farm, but I'd, I'd like to, let's just focus on the second part to that question of what is it like to work with family during the busy time of the year and what types of things do you guys have in place for that? Right now is our a busy season, as I'm sure it is for you. Apple harvest is in full swing right now and we've got a lot of people on the farm looking to, looking to have a good time. And so we've, uh, I'm very, very lucky to have uh, a lot of family members on the farm with me. I'm kind of a, a roving manager. I, I'm kind of the jack of all trades and I, I do a little bit of everything and as is my dad, but my uncles, my two uncles work on the farm as well. My uncle Bill is mainly in charge of uh, picking and, and sorting fruit. And my uncle John is in charge of our cider mill. My aunt Carrie is in charge of our bakery and my mother is in charge of our winery. And so it, and my brother just came back to the farm this uh, just about a month ago. So between all of us, it's really been a huge blessing to be able to share the leadership on our farm because uh, this may sound kind of negative, but I, I don't mean it in such a way. Uh, I've always said that you can't pay somebody enough to care about your business as much as you do. So I mean, we having so many family members on the farm, it means we have a lot of people that really care about our business succeeding. And that's not to say that our employees don't care. It's just, it's a job for them. But to me, it's, it's my calling and it's my life. You hit on a couple of really key points and talking about the role of family and what an incredible opportunity for you to be able to experience family while working in a business that is at this stage, what fourth generation, I believe to get together and fifth generation, excuse me. And we talked a little bit about generational type things earlier and watching, watching those operations grow and to succeed. And I know that our family farm just turned a hundred years old last year. And so it's really been pretty amazing to, to be able to be a part of that for me for the past decade. And then obviously your farm, you've been around a lot longer. And one of the crazy and unique things during this harvest series that we're doing is the harvest season's upon us. We understand that as farmers, but our consumers, they understand that also. And the fall season is very, very special to a lot of families all across the country that are looking for opportunities to to go make memories at a farm, whether that be a pumpkin patch, whether that be a corn maze whether that be visiting a bakery or an apple house, and in some cases, maybe a winery. I am curious to see what personal stories have you seen from individuals that have came back to Robinette's year after year? Have you watched kids grow up? Or have you had kids that used to come there 
when they were younger. And then now all of a sudden they're grown adults that have wanted to come back and seek employment. I just want to hear some of your perspectives with that. Yeah, we've, uh, I've seen personally a lot of, I'd say three generations of, of people who come back to the farm. I mean, uh, so before my time, these people would come to Robinettes to, to get donuts and cider and they brought their kids. And then now I'm seeing the grandkids so that you got the grandparents, you've got the parents and the kids all, all coming to the farm now. And even in the employee department, we have people who used to work for us 30 years ago, whose kids now are looking for work and we've hired them on. And it's interesting to see those, not only interesting, but it's, I find it inspiring. There's still some tradition that we have that we can share. Making me want to fly to Michigan tomorrow. I mean, this place sounds like heaven on earth. I would love to hear what kind of challenges have you had? Like if you could just point out a couple challenges and then as a family, how did you guys solve those problems or challenges? Well, uh, the most recent one is labor. Uh, it's just like everyone else. We're having a really hard time finding people to work right now. We're seasonal employers. So it, it's hard to compete with full-time employment opportunities right now. The people that are looking to work aren't looking to just work for a couple months. They're, they're looking to work for you know, more than that. And um, so a place like even a, you know, a place like McDonald's can offer more than we can afford to, to give people. We're seeing businesses offer signing bonuses that we can't afford to match. And so there's, there's a lot of return. Usually we have returning employees come back every season and that, that helps us get by this year. Uh, I think a lot of those returning employees are seeing some excellent opportunities in other, in other jobs. And I, I don't blame them for taking them, but uh, so we're, I, we're feeling the, the worker shortage right now, just like a lot of other people are. Certainly fuel costs. I remember, um, I mean, we all remember when gas went over $4 a gallon. And I just remember that summer, no one was driving anywhere, which means they weren't driving to uh, an apple orchard as much. So being a fruit farm, we're, we're, very, we're at the mercy of, of the weather. A lot of farmers, I mean, all farmers are, it's not unique to fruit farms, but one frosty night in April, can ruin a whole apple crop for us. And so 2012, uh, just about the whole state of Michigan lost their whole apple crop and cherry crop and peach crop. And that was, um, I'd say one of the most, that was the most personally uh, financially dire moments I've had in my life because all, all the work that I had to do on the farm was gone. Suddenly my paychecks are getting smaller and smaller. I'm, I'm not doing as much work on the farm and we don't, even if I had more hours to work on the farm. We, we don't have uh, the money coming in because all our fruit's gone. So there, those are some of the highlights, I would say, some of the big, the big challenges we've navigated. And we've been lucky uh, in terms of how we've navigated them. Part of it's luck, but another part of it is, as cheesy as it sounds, not, not giving up and, and trying. This, this is our livelihood and we'll, we'll do whatever we have to whether it's, uh, I mean, in the past, I've, I've given up paychecks just, to, just so we can keep the lights on. That's the sort of sacrifices you have to make when you run a business. You speak on, on a couple of really key points. And first off, uh, Kyle and I would love to come work for you for a weekend or a, a period of time during the fall season, as long as that we were paid in apples, donuts, and wine. 
and, and I cider. don't mean I'll take and, I'll take and cider. Some cider this time of the year. <laughs> but but on a serious note, you speak about the in terms of the authenticity of hardships, not only uh, not only hardships within your own household, but your business, and understanding that agriculture is an ever changing but ever present industry that's that's all around us. Consumers are aware. Consumers are absolutely one hundred percent aware that they enjoy high quality experiences and that they want to be able to, to be able to have some of these experiences with their families. And I've watched with over the years and, and seen some of the aspects that, that you at Robinettes has been able to do. And it's really pretty remarkable. I know your family has some unbelievable personal stories with individuals you've been able to meet along the way and kind of crazy, unique things that sometimes happen. Yeah, I, um, we've we've met so we've had some interesting guests on the farm. Uh, most recently, the uh, we had Ivanka Trump on the farm last year. That was an interesting experience. We had uh, former Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue. We've had the, the administrator of the EPA at our farm, and even back to my my very first memory was meeting Bob Dole uh, when he made a campaign stop at the farm back in oh that would have been 1996, I believe. So my and of course, being in Grand Rapids, Gerald R. Ford was our congressman. And so my grandfather got to know him through Farm Bureau and through just uh, interacting with his congressman. So my, my grandfather got to know him relatively well. And I don't know if we hosted a fundraiser or a campaign stop for him while he was running for Congress, but I'd have to check on that. But I think we did. So over the years, he got to know him. And of course, when he became uh, vice president and then president, you don't really keep in touch with the president like that unless you're very important. But uh, an interesting story is years later, this is, would be in the 90s when the um, Gerald R. Ford Museum in Grand Rapids was being rededicated. My grandfather volunteered to be an, an usher for the event. And uh, just because he, he liked Jerry so much and he just was, he, he loved the museum. He, he's just excited to be there. And uh, so I believe it was after dinner, my grandfather walked by the table where Gerald R. Ford, the former president, was sitting, and he said, oh, Jim, how are you? <laughs> my, my grandfather said hi, and he said, hey, why don't you come over and sit at this table with us? You can meet Lady Bird Johnson, Barbara Bush, you can meet uh, Nancy Reagan, and uh, so that was probably one of the highlights of his life, but we've, we've had a lot of interesting people that we've been able to meet over the years. That is very interesting. I didn't know a lot of that about you, Alan. I've got one kind of follow-up that kind of has to do with that. And that is, how do you want the customer or the consumer to feel when they're at your farm? What, what's kind of the culture that you like to get across to them as you go about your business? During our busy season right now, when we've got a lot of people come and they want our donuts. We make really good donuts at Robinettes and uh, not trying to toot my own horn, but we just, I, I like them a lot. And we have a line out to the road and sometimes down the road. And I really, I want people to not stand in that long of a line. I'm, we're, we're hoping to make some changes to our kitchen soon to, to really move the line a lot faster, make more donuts and sell them faster. And so I, I just want people to have fun. I don't want them to just come and stand in line the whole time. It doesn't take that long. It's like, little over half an hour, sometimes 45 minutes to get donuts on our busiest days. It's not like that the rest of the year. 
I want people to have fun because it, at the end of the day, I want them to come back every year. So it, it's not really a selfish thing of like, you know, just give me money and come back and do it again next year. I, I see people have really good times. And I see uh, when they're going through our corn maze, you know, they, they bring their friends and they bring their, their relatives. They bring people who come from out of town. Oh, you haven't been to Robinettes before? You got to go to Robinettes. And I, I hear people say that. And it, it really, I get really excited to hear people talk about my business in that way. So I just want people to feel excited to be there. I want them to feel glad they came because if, if I fail in those objectives, then I'm going to be out of business. Very good, Alan. Well, we've sure appreciated you on today. And I, I know our audience is getting their, their full value today. <laughs> so one thing that I'm going to take home from this for sure is just the evolution of your business and how to have that ability to adapt in life. Another thing that I really think is valuable is just how you want the customer to feel. You know, you want those shorter lines. Uh, you know those products so well. They come right from your family and all your extended family, aunts, uncles, siblings. It's just amazing operation, it sounds like. And just uh, to have that service behind it that's going to keep shorter lines and keep everybody coming back for more. I would invite everybody to come out to the Robinettes. And if you, I'm, I'm guessing there's an online version of that. Alan, could you share some of your uh, connections, your contacts, your social media handle, handles? We are uh, at Robinettes on Facebook. That's R-O-B-I-N-E-T-T-E-S. And uh, our website is robinettes.com, R-O-B-I-N-E-T-T-E-S. And uh, I encourage you, if, if you're looking for a unique gift this, this Christmas, we ship apples all over the country. That's our main business in the wintertime. That's one of the things I look forward to most towards Christmas time is making gift boxes for people. Well, Alan, I certainly want to thank you for joining this episode of the Kitchen Table Podcast and to be able to share your experiences of having an agritourism location right in the heart of Grand Rapids, Michigan, but then also to encourage families and individuals to go to a tourism location that's located on a farm, wherever they may be within, within the United States. And uh, certainly to be able to experience those opportunities of the joys of harvest and how awesome of a time it is to be able to reap the rewards of farmers' hard work throughout the entire growing season. And uh, really, on behalf of Kyle and I, uh, we want to thank you for joining us. And then also want to thank all of our podcast listeners for joining us at this episode of the Kitchen Table Podcast. We understand that kitchen tables come in different sizes and shapes, but well, the one thing that we can always guarantee is, is that there's always enough seats at the kitchen table. And until next time, thank you. <laughs>